Hi, I'm D. Hicks, and welcome to the School of Leadership, leveraged lessons from high-impact leaders. For the past 30 years, I've researched the disciplines, habits, mental models, and assumptions of the most effective leaders. This podcast takes what I've learned from over 2,000 of these influencers and distills it into practical tools and tips you can use immediately. So let's get started. Well, welcome back. I wish you were sitting right over there. I would be toasting a cigar with you. And I've got the uh, wonderful Zippo insert. This is the butane lighter. It's a torch lighter. I mention this all the time in every one of my podcasts because some of you cigar snobs think I'm using a Zippo with the with the liquid lighter in it. But no, this is a butane lighter, specifically an insert made by Zippo for cigars. So there, got that out of the way. And I'm toasting, you know how to light a cigar. You're supposed to cut it and, and then hold the cigar in your mouth and taste it a little bit and see what it tastes like and smell it and enjoy it before you light it, which I did. And then toast the foot. That's the part you set on fire, in case you didn't know that. Uh, The foot of the cigar, you just toast it lightly, just a little bit to get it warm, so a little bit of smoke comes off. Then let it cool down just a touch till the smoke stops coming off the foot of the cigar. And when that happens, then relight a little bit. And then you get what's, just make sure it's nice and even, especially on a cigar that has a dark Maduro wrapper. If you don't light it evenly, then it will burn very unevenly and you have to tend it closely the entire time. And it's, it's kind of fun. A cigar is an experience. It's this one. This cigar is going to take a good hour, an hour and 20 minutes to smoke. And I don't just suck these down like they're a Diet Dr. Pepper. I <laughs> like to just enjoy them and uh, ponder the finer things of life. And uh, it's possible that I'm talking directly to you and thinking of you as one of the finer things of life. You're probably a friend of mine. Many of the folks who subscribe to this podcast are friends of mine, and we've had a chance to spend time together. So when I enjoy a good cigar, I'm probably thinking about you and of the challenges you've got in life and work and how grateful I am to call you a friend. So get the edge of this perfectly lit there. Oh, you should see it. And now we light the end of the cigar and we try to get a nice rose-colored spot right in the middle. Mm -mm -mm. Oh, there we go. You know what? It's like a perfect landing in a small airplane, which I've had like four of those out of the two or three hundred times I've landed a plane. (laughs) But it feels like that when you get the cigar lit perfectly. It's just like, oh, it all came together. Well, this cigar is called a Cinca Vegas, the number five, Cinca Vegas. And it is a triple A Cinca Vegas. This, if you know anything about cigars, is a box-pressed cigar, meaning it's kind of square, slightly rounded at the corners and edges, but it's kind of square. This one's about, this one's a five and a half inch long cigar, and it's a 52, I think, a 50 or 52 ring gauge, so probably about as big around as, uh, you know, uh, some, I've got big hands, so it's probably about as big around as my thumb, five or five and a half inches long. This is a really enjoyable, enjoyable cigar. I have had several of these. It's, uh, like I said, it's a Maduro wrapper, which means the the wrapper is where you get most of the flavor. Most of the smell comes from the binder and the filler, but the wrapper taste is what I'm getting mostly when I enjoy a cigar. This is, uh, if I understand correctly, these are, these uh, Cinco Vegas cigars, the AAA especially, is uh, a blend of a Cuban seed Nicaraguan 
Ligera. So, you know, Cuban seed, the, when, when all of the stuff happened in Cuba, then many of the families uh, that, were, that had tobacco plantations took their seed, escaped the country, and then, then they planted it in Nicaragua, which is a slightly different climate. Not a lot, slightly different. Soil's a little bit different. And so, going to get the best of both worlds, the Nicaraguan climate and soil and the Cuban seed, and then it, then the leaves are mostly ligueros, and so this gives it a really, really rich, rich taste. The fillers in this, if you care much about cigars, are from the Esteli Estate, and they're very, very rich, and I like it a lot. It gives a, it's kind of a, an interesting taste in the very beginning. If you don't smoke cigars, you might think they just taste like burning leaves, <laughs> but they really don't. Every cigar is a little bit different. This one, uh, especially as I first lit it, huge clouds of smoke filling up this little sound booth studio I've got going on here. <laughs> so much so that I expect to hear a foghorn any second, but huge clouds of smoke, just two little puffs, and man, it's like 17 cubic meters of smoke. <laughs> I love it. It's wonderful. You can barely see it. If you were here, I probably couldn't see you. It's delightful stuff, but it's got a really nice a uh, really nice, rich flavor at the very beginning. It tastes a little bit like uh, like freshly cut oak smells. I don't go around tasting oak, but it tastes a little bit like freshly cut oak smells and a little bit like espresso, really well done espresso. Uh, there's, uh, there's also a little bit of a sweet aftertaste to it, almost like chocolate, but not quite. It's a very, it's sweet and, and uh, uh, dense kind of flavor. But in the, as the cigar goes on, as you know, if you smoke cigars, as they, as they go on, this one's now only a sixteenth of an inch deep, a quarter of an inch deep, less than an eighth of an inch probably, deep in the burn. Um, but as they, as they burn and as you enjoy them slowly, the flavor changes as you go along. So I'm going to enjoy this cigar with you thinking about you, as well as I have a Norlin glass, which I've mentioned in some of my other podcasts. They don't sponsor these podcasts, but wow, I'll just give them a shout out without any remuneration at all, because they're so good. If you look up a Norlin whiskey glass, you'll see what I'm holding in my hand. It is a beautiful shape, and it's double-walled, and so you can hang on to the hang on to the whiskey or the bourbon in this case. It's a bourbon that is, I'll tell you about in a second here, and you can hold your hand without changing the temperature of the bourbon, which is nice. In this case, I'm not adding an ice cube to it because in a Norland glass, you don't want to add ice. You just want to let, let it breathe a little bit and, and, and smell it. And, oh, it smells wonderful. Here. <laughs> I wish you were here. Oh, it smells absolutely wonderful. It's a wonderful, wonderful bourbon. What is the bourbon, you're wondering? Tell me, please. It is a Woodenville straight bourbon whiskey. Woodenville is a distillery that is just, um, as the crow flies, about 20 miles from me, maybe 18 miles from me as the crow flies. Wherever that phrase came from, I don't even know where that phrase came from because every crow I've ever seen flies like they've had a lot of bourbon. <laughs> but in a straight line, uh, I'm two, I am about 18 miles or so straight west of the Woodenville Distillery. And this bourbon is really, really good. It is one of the best I have ever had. It's a small batch bourbon and it has a, just a delightful smell and a delightful taste. So the two of these 
This, this cigar and this bourbon go very, very well together. I'll tell you a little bit more about the Woodenville bourbon at the end of the podcast. But here we are. Uh, I'm looking at my timer, and we've taken about six or seven minutes, eight minutes actually, and I just popped up about eight minutes of yammering about cigar and bourbon before I even start getting into part four of Built for the Storm. That's what we're here for. That's what I want to chat with you a little bit about. As you recall, we have been talking about some of the research that we have participated in about people who just seem to bounce back all the time, storm after storm after storm. And so this is part four of that. We've got part five and part six, which follow right, uh, right after this one. We've got some great stuff in this that I would like to share with you. Because you have a, a set of values that drive you, and it's likely you are one of these people, by the way, parenthetically, and it's likely you are one of these folks that's built for the storm. And that's why you have stuck around and listened to the first one, two, and three of these, and now the fourth of this in a series of podcasts, because I'm probably talking about you. You probably resonate with a lot of what I'm saying and think, uh, yeah, yeah, wow, wow, I do that, I do that, I think that way. So let me talk a little bit more about you. <laughs> this is designed this podcast to help you realize uh, what you have done and, and how you have done it to become and remain such a resilient person. So back to the, uh, back to the thought here, because you have a, a set of values, like we talked about in uh, the earlier podcast, that drive you, values that you've, that you've intentionally put in place. You've, you chose this value over that value on purpose, eyes wide open. And because you are a continually learning kind of person, you adapt those mental maps and those mental models and those assumptions. You change You change how you think. You're profoundly curious. You listen really well because you come from an assumption that you want to learn more and more and more. Because that's you, because you've adapted and changed like this, you likely put new habits in place that go with those new ways of thinking. And you know that habits make all the difference. If you have the right habits in place, then it is amazing how well you and I can, can thrive in the middle of intensity. The habits of people like you that are built for the storm are, upon close inspection, radically different from those folks who are swamped by the storms. So you know what habits actually are. Uh, habits from a from a psychological standpoint are just the way we fall into patterns of doing things or deliberately put them in place. So that's how you can drive down the street in, in traffic. It's how you can walk and chew bubblegum. <laughs> Who chews bubblegum anymore? That's that's how you can uh, uh, catch a catch a set of keys thrown your way, or how you can type and get all of the words and all the letters correct while your mind wanders just a little bit onto the next sentence that you're going to be typing. These are called habits. You know how that works. You remember we talked about system zero in our brain, which is that system that enables us to survive, and it, it exists to help us perceive the world around us in two categories, a threat category or a reward category, and, and then it tries to moderate downward the use of energy, as in, as in energy derived from glucose, to power our brain and our body so that we can survive. One of the ways that it actually does that, then, is to set our brain up and our life up in such a way that most of the time, we don't have to consciously think about what we're doing. We don't have to consciously think, what do I do? I have an itch on my ear. What do I do? We just scratch our ear while we're talking to someone and not even think about it. What am I going to do? I have to tie my shoes. <laughs> well, you can tie your shoes and not even think twice about it, not think about it at all. Well, that's because of a habit. Our brain craves habits. 
We also found out that our mental models in our last discussions are actually habits too. They're mental habits. They're, they're habitual ways of thinking. If you meet someone who is uh, really tall, um, I'm about 6'1 if I'm in a good mood. So if I meet someone who's 6'5, I have a habitual way of thinking about that person. And that doesn't mean it's accurate, but it's a mental model, which is a mental habit. If I meet someone who is wearing driving gloves, I don't know if anybody wears those anymore, but they're wearing driving gloves and I glance at them and talk to them for a second and say, what are you wearing? They say, oh, it's my driving gloves. Oh, what do you drive? And they say, I drive a Prius. <laughs> I have a mental model that develops around that person. <laughs> oh, for the record, I was driving down uh, a highway from uh, western Washington toward eastern Washington a few days ago uh, at a rapid rate of speed because the speed limit there is 70 in many places, so it means that it's closer to 80 in practice. And uh, I was passed doing just under 80 miles an hour by a Prius. I was utterly, utterly surprised. <laughs> Donnie was driving with me as we were going over to eastern Washington and to meet with some friends and clients at the same time. And uh, he and I were both utterly stunned and we just thought that can't, that can't actually be true. I looked at my speedometer, that can't actually be true. Well, I was surprised because I've got a mental habit around Priuses. <laughs> you know, that's just how it works. All right, so our thoughts, uh, the way we habitually think our habits, just like where we put our keys is a habit and how we how we pull our pants on is a habit and uh, how we wash dishes, that's a habit. All right, these habits all are developed and, and they function in a cycle. Picture with me now, if you can, a circle, like a clockwise circle in front of you and habits go around the circle clockwise in this model. And the habit cycle, the way a habit is formed and how a habit functions is pretty simple and straightforward. The top at like 12 o'clock on the circle is, is, the, is what's called a cue and a cue simply is the way the habit starts. Cues are either time cues, it's five o'clock somewhere like that, it's a cue and now you start a habit, or it's geographic. You walk, uh, you walk by the refrigerator and there, oh, I'm physically located near the refrigerator and so a habit is cued. Or sometimes they're both. It's five o'clock near the refrigerator in your garage and so you open it up and get out a bottle of Guinness or something like that. I'm not a real beer fan, but I do like Guinness once in a while. So maybe that's that's how habits are triggered. They have a they have a a cue, geographic or location. I mean, uh, geographic or time or both. So then, as soon as it's cued, then we immediately go into within a nanosecond we go into the next part, which stretches around that circle from about one o'clock on that circle down to about six o'clock on the circle, and that's called a routine. So habits have steps to them. Whatever the habit is that you that you are wanting to pay attention to, either to, to grow that habit or to change that habit, you want to pay attention to the routine. Notice every little step you do throughout the habit. How do you move your hands? How do you think? What do you say? What, do, what are you doing? So the habits that have more steps in the routine before the next part of the habit kicks in, called the reward, are habits that are stronger. They're embedded more deeply and take a little bit stronger habit to, to break them or to replace them. Because in adults, we don't break habits, we replace them. We just need a new habit over the top of that old habit that works better to meet an underlying need than the new habit, or than the old habit did, okay? If you track with me on that. Let's review. Top of the, the circle is the cue. Then all the way around till about 6 o'clock on that clockwise circle is the routine. And then at about 6, 7, 8, right in there is called the reward. We do the habit to meet a need. The surprising thing about habit formation is that the needs we're meeting with the habit are not readily apparent to us. We think I ate that uh, old-fashioned donut because I was hungry. 
No, that's not why I ate the old-fashioned donut, because there's little nutrition in an old-fashioned donut. I know, it's a shock. It's a shock. There's probably little nutrition in this Woodenville bourbon that I'm drinking either. But, hey, why do we do the habit? It's because there's some underlying need there. Even habits that are very healthy for us, there's usually, uh, there's usually more than presents. So you may want to think about what's the reward? What's the payoff? Why do I do this habit? And does, and does, does that reward in some way make me better? Certainly the need is valuable. Our needs are, are important. If you have, if you have a, an underlying need, it's probably a good need. It just might not be fulfilled by this habit in the correct way. Okay, you know all this stuff. So now we've gone from our cue to routine to the reward. And then right after the reward, then we kind of go into this neutral zone in the habit cycle where we are setting ourselves back up to do that habit again. And the longer we go between the reward and the cue, the more we will crave that habit. So that space on that clock dial you're looking at from like 9 o'clock back up to midnight again is called the craving space. And that's the longer that goes, the more we tend to crave the habit. All right, so there we have it. That's how a habit cycle works. If you're curious about how your habits are functioning and you want to learn more about them, then overlay that habit and watch yourself. Don't try to change anything at all. Just watch yourself. So that's the idea of habit. Now... All habits that you and I have were at one point put in place intentionally. It just doesn't feel like it right now. It feels like it's just woven into part of who we are. But at one point in time, through one or two laps around that cycle that I just talked about, we actually put that habit in place on purpose. It's intentional. Aha, uh -huh. this is the point we're trying to make. By the way, our inner narrator, you've got one, so do I, <laughs> likes to tell us that the habits that we don't like, that we feel like, oh, I should probably not continue that habit, uh, that habit is impossible to break. But that's just not actually true. All we need, like I said moments ago, to do is to replace that habit that is now counterproductive in our life with one that works better. And by works better, I mean it meets that underlying need. So I got to know what the underlying need of that old-fashioned donut is, or the underlying need of criticism and gossip of people who are just outside of my peripheral vision, or that underlying need that I have by the habit of worry. I need to know what those underlying needs are. Not hard to find. Just ponder it for a moment. You'll find it. And then the new habit needs to meet that underlying need better. So all of that, wow, okay, long time. Hopefully we can edit this down to a much shorter version because now this is what you actually wanted to listen for. What are the habits of resilient people? Now remember, they put them in place on purpose. And when I say they, by they, I mean you. It's likely, as I said in the beginning, that you are one of those resilient people. So here are 20 habits from which to choose. These, many of these habits describe ones you've already got. And as I go through these habits that we have observed by watching people on a habit level who are built for the storm, we've found the 20 that are the most common among them. Look for yourself and, and see which ones fit you. And then pick maybe one that you would like to put in place. All right, here we go. Some real basic habits that they've got. Almost all of these people built for the storm get up early and they feed their soul. They remind themselves of what really matters. They've got a personal sense of mission. It's often written down, and they regularly review that mission. It's part of their morning routine. They get up early, and they feed their soul. Here's the second one. When they're doing that, they practice gratitude. In fact, that habit pervades their day. They have a default 
of gratitude. They're grateful for opportunities. They're grateful for what they get to learn through challenges. They're grateful that they get to pick adventure over comfort. Grateful for a sunny day, and they're grateful for sideways rain. <laughs> they practice gratitude. A third one is they exercise. Most folks built for the storm have an exercise routine. It changes as they age or it changes with, you know, physical challenges or it changes with the seasons, but they exercise. Most of them exercise multiple times a week. So their third habit is they exercise and they exercise pretty regularly. Their fourth habit is they eat wisely. Uh, most of the folks that we have studied in this, uh, in this environment under this theme have what we call an island diet or a Mediterranean diet. You can look that up and see what that is. The fifth habit is that they regularly practice self-control for the sake of self-control. They quit when they can just for the sake of practicing self-control. Instead of having two bourbons, they just have one. Instead of eating two pieces of pie, they have one. Instead of finishing the entire piece of cake, they leave one bite behind. That sort of thing, okay? That's the fifth habit. Uh, the sixth one is they communicate directly. They go to the source as a habit. Number seven, they ask questions first. They ask a lot of questions, and they are very good listeners in that regard as well. Here's their eighth habit. They arrange their days so that they give their best attention to the one most important thing in that day. And they keep coming back to that. In fact, they don't finish their day until they've moved forward on that one most important thing. Uh, the ninth habit is they use their calendars. Uh, they use their calendars in advance to make sure that they're planning and, and using their time wisely because they feel like time is a gift and it's one of their mental models and that they are stewards over time. They regard their calendar as, uh, as a tool and as a promise. So here's our 10th habit. They break triangles. This relates to communicating directly. That is, if someone comes to them to talk about someone else, they break that triangle right away and they cut drama out. They do not abide drama. The 11th habit is they notice when they're worrying and they are proactive to deal with worry. The most common thing we found they do is that they schedule their worry. If they find themselves worrying about something and it's distracting, then they'll pull out their calendar and they'll say, I'm going to worry about that in a couple of days at three o'clock in the afternoon. They put it on their calendar. Here's the 12th habit. See if this is you. They pause at the end of anything they've been working on and they admire the work that they did, either together or with other people. It's a brief pause. They admire that thing as a thing of beauty. Thirteenth habit, they start right away. They don't sit back and plan and plan and plan and plan and plan. They plan while they're moving, but they, uh, they have a bias for action. They start right now. They make the call right now. They send the email right now. Uh, they get things moving right now. And uh, that is a really powerful habit they've got. We've also found that they have a 14th habit that they shut off their digital devices periodically. It's usually early in the morning and late at night. Um, and then they take days where they, or hours within a day where they will go dark on digital devices. They disconnect. The 15th habit they have is that they assume good intent. Now this is a mental model, but it's also a habit. And then it's practiced as a discipline, which we'll talk about in our next podcast. They assume good intent. Uh, their 16th habit is they make a game out of showing up early or on time, and they are almost always early or on time. Uh, the 17th habit, they don't make decisions that are not theirs to make. They're well aware of the fact that their greatest value is in their judgment, and so they want to be careful to only apply it in areas that are their decisions to make. 18, we got three more. 18, they say, please, and they say, thank you. And they tell people when they've done a nice job. Say, please, say, thank you. 
You'll hear it genuinely coming out of them regularly. Here's an interesting habit, the 19th one. It's a habit. When they find that their life is spinning up and getting more and more busy, they slow down how they walk. Many of them have said to us in our research, I deliberately slow down how I walk from one place to another so that I can slow my mind down. Here's the last one. They're, they have a wonderful habit of paying attention to their body because they learned early on that if they're going to be built for the storm, they're going to do it in a body, <laughs> right? They're not some disembodied weirdo. They're in this body, so they need to pay attention to their body, especially when it comes to stress because stress equals fear. Pay attention to that, and then they ask themselves, what am I afraid of? There we have 20 habits. And I'm not saying if you don't have all 20 of those habits, you're not built for the storm. That's not the point. We just found these habits very commonly practiced by people who we regard as built for the storm, resilient people who have an amazing effect on others around them over years. What do you think? Did I describe you in some way? Which of those habits were yours? You went through the list? Yeah, 11 of those are mine. 19 of those are mine. I've got that. Two of those are mine. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, then another question then is, which of these habits would you like to put in place now? Pick one of those out of that list and see what you would like to put in place and then decide. I think I'm going to start that habit right now. Start literally right now. By the time you're finished listening to this podcast, start it right now. Do that habit three or four times exactly the same way at exactly the same time in exactly the same place. And the fourth time you do it, your brain will set you up to crave it the fifth time. That's how our wonderful brain works. So you know, we've been saying this all throughout this podcast series, that folks who are built for the storm are not built for the storm accidentally. They're not some freak of nature. They decided early on, they or discovered early on, that they wanted to have an impact. They wanted an adventure over comfort. And they wanted to be able to make a difference. And they knew, just like you know, that storms are the norm and calm waters and perfectly placid seas are kind of rare. That therefore they knew that if they were to thrive in the life that they've been given, they needed to be able to thrive in the storm. So they intentionally built themselves so that they can laugh and joy and live in the middle of a storm. Well, that's my hope that that is you. And I've enjoyed sharing this with you. The next podcast will have a different cigar, different bourbon, I'm certain. I'll be able to share that with you as well. That'll be podcast number five in this series called Built for the Storm. So I promise I'd tell you a little bit more about Woodenville. We actually bought in one of our companies, in our motorcycle company, an entire barrel. It's a private selection barrel with numbered bottles and the whole thing. A Woodenville a whiskey, and it is delightful. I think we got a hundred and... I don't know, 175 or 180 bottles of this. And we give it away to special people on special occasions. And it's branded, says Rottweiler Motorcycle Company on it, and Woodenville Whiskey, and the bottles are all numbered. And so we're looking forward to having opportunities when we run across folks, perhaps like you, to give you a bottle in celebration of the fact that you are such a wonderful and resilient person. Well, there we go. One more little thing to tell you, and that is that uh, you can see some of the things we're talking about on YouTube. We have started another company called the Hilt Academy, High Impact Leadership Training. And in that, we have two branches. One of them is the paid side where you can buy courses. It's a hiltacademy.thinkific.com. You can also just Google Hilt Academy LLC and you'll find it. 
And then there are several courses up there that folks can buy from how to lead to how to supervise. And, and every couple of months, a new course is being added. Or the free side, which is free is good, right? Uh, the YouTube channel, and it's just Hilt Academy, one word. And you can see, as of this recording, we've probably got 15 or 20 short videos up there talking about all kinds of fun things, like, like how to live with and work with a pessimist, or uh, all kinds of fun stuff like that, or, or the problem with feedback, <laughs> all of that sort of thing. Of course, in the YouTube channel, I'm not enjoying a cigar, because our studio down there is not actually set up to have a cigar in. This one is, but that one's not. But I am enjoying great bourbon. Well, my friend, like I said at the beginning, I wish you were here. I would raise a glass to you in admiration for the work that you are doing. And I may see you around the corner sometime soon. I hope we get to run into one another. But if not, I'm probably thinking about you. Have a great day. Thanks for joining me in today's School of Leadership. This podcast is part of the Archimedes Experiment, leveraged wisdom from the world's most effective leaders. If you're interested in more, go to my website, dhicks.com. Remember, my first name has only one E. Well, you'll find more short and helpful podcast books and blog posts. If this was helpful, maybe even share it with some of your friends. Have a great day.